Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Welcome back to The Collective. You like the head turn? <laughs> Very was nice. Was be better than yesterday. Better than yesterday? Really? Yeah. You're algorithmically flat. Uh, like the draw. Oh, that was pretty bad. <laughs> it was, that it, was, it was not pretty great. Bad. So, well, while I'm talking about the algorithm, while Sean's bringing up the algorithm, I guess I should, uh, you know, tell everybody, like the show, subscribe to the, to the uh, channel, hit the notification bell, and you'll be good to go join us here every day uh winterstorm like winterstorm joins us pretty much every day he's here all the time good morning um and yeah trav good to see you again you just got back from a couple of trips you were in hawaii and then you were turkey hunting and then you were yeah i was in molokai i've always wanted to go to that island because they have no building taller than a coconut tree and Ooh. no traffic lights and minimal people so i was i was hunting over there with the family so that was pretty cool did you get anything up there yeah, yeah, I got a few axis deer and brought home the meat. So that's uh, nice. first time hunting axis deer. Mm. I'll definitely be looking at something like that in the future. Totally different hunt than what I'm used to, and I'm I was game for the learning process. Mm. And what and is does taste different at all? Yeah, yeah, it tastes different. I, mm. You know, Rogan says it's the best tasting game meat out there. I don't know if I would agree with that but it is one of the milder game meats out there mm. so oh that's a that's an important distinction that's cool i dig yeah. that there he is there he is zach what's up what's up gents in the hossie good to see you again zach good to see you as well how does it compare to like elk because elk uh, is my 100 percent favorite across the board nothing beats it yeah, elk's awesome. I love elk. Mind you, elk is a less kind of gamey meat. It's more it's more like what you'd commercially get as well. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I love elk hunting. I love bugling for them. I, I love the whole elk experience. Um, yeah, access well, deer. It was what, it was pretty neat. What do you think is the wildest? Uh, I think it's bear. What do you think? I don't know. I honestly that where I go for bear, it's um, it's really good. I love the bear meat, and uh, mm. I know it really depends on what the bear has been into. So if you're eating dumpster bear, right, one thing, right, right. yeah, or out by eating a lot of fish, uh, that'll change the flavor a lot. But where I go, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I love bear meat. It's such a sustainable resource too. You know, I haven't eaten enough of it to have even come to that excellent conclusion <laughs> that you just, it, it just literally entered my mind. Oh yeah. Right. Travis <laughs> is right. What they eat is what they taste like. So yeah. Maybe I ate a little bit of uh, garbage dumpster bear, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, I know when I was a child, I would bring game meat to school, uh, like bear pepperoni, because everyone would just make pepperoni. Oh, yeah, bear for sure. Yeah. And I won an award in grade six for having the smelliest lunch. So if that tells you anything about uh, the bear meat that I was eating as a kid. <laughs> that, that sounds pretty good. I remember watching um, Meat Eater with uh, Steve Rinella, and hmm. he was saying that, the best time to, to eat bears or the best time to hunt for bear is in the fall because mm. right near the end, right before they go into hibernation, because they've been foraging on berries a lot. Mm. And then you can render the fat and basically deep fry the meat into it is so good. And it's in its own uh, fat. And yeah, it sounds delicious. I've never had it, but I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm excited so to try one day. So that'll be good. Are you guys, uh, have you watched, uh, what's his name? Steve Rinella or whatever it is. Have you watched an, a lot of his stuff? I have, yeah. Because I I recently heard that like three, four people in the last few days have said, bro, what do you mean you don't watch it? He's right up your alley. <laughs> he is. And uh, yeah, I don't know why I haven't ever followed it. He's done a lot for hunting. When I first met him, I had no idea what he was about. I had no idea. Meat Eater wasn't even on my radar. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I got a Christmas gift from my wife and she says, we're going to go see a live podcast. And I hadn't started a podcast, nor had I ever listened to a podcast before. And it's going to be Steve Rinella. You get to meet him and the crew and all the rest. And so uh, I'm like, why would I want to go see this? <laughs> Anyways, uh, checked it out, saw what a live podcast is all about. It's pretty neat. And seeing his crew, he's got some good people working with him. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Now, I and so now we're not talking about meat anymore in my head. Nope. Screw Steve, whoever. <laughs> while you were while you were there watching the live potty, and mm -hmm. and did you say that that was your first time that you'd seen a live potty? Yeah, first time, and that was my. I think that was my first podcast I'd ever listened to, and it was live. Check. So during it, mm. did anything bubble into your head like, oh, that 
maybe I'll do that one day or after it. Did anything bubble up in your head? Uh, no, actually. Um, I saw it and actually made some connections with some of the Mediator crew uh, that were on there. I was, my wife and I were free, featured on a web episode of Mediator and took, um, made friends with uh, a couple of people. April Vokey, she's a world-renowned angler and mm -hmm. uh, took her out sight fishing for crabs, just picking them up out of the ocean. Uh, that was the biggest thing that I got out of that. Uh, looking at how they promote the podcast and ways that could be applied to, let's say, the collective here, um, there are probably some ideas there that that could come from it. But uh, but no, I I watch it and I thought, oh, this is this kind of interesting, but I don't know if this is for me. And then lo and behold, mm -hmm. I start a podcast. Yeah, welcome to the jungle. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know the neat thing about. Um... At least meat eater in general, Steve Ranella. And uh, one thing I really like about the show is that he he fails a lot on the show, right? Uh, I've seen a lot of hunting shows where it's yep. always just like perfectly set up. The guy's in the perfect stand. The animal comes out, ding, sweet. And there's a it's a continual success kind of story. Yeah. But with meat eater, at least there is failure yep. regularly. There's pulled shots. There's bad. Um, bad tracks there's all kinds of things that just doesn't go his way there's one point I remember he shot a i think it was a brace of um uh like hairs not or maybe it was cottontails but um popped a couple of those off put them in his bag and then the he had ticks and lice all <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a part of it uh, all over the animal so it was pretty good Mark Kenyon, who is the resident whitetail guy, and I, he's been on the Silver Core podcast, super cool guy, just really salt of the earth. And he said, you know, I see that path to being, you know, Instagram fame or internet fame. And that's either be the hero, always showing the success and never showing your failures. He says, that just wasn't me. And he found that when he started showcasing, and he did this early, when he started being very honest about what he's doing, showcasing his failures, that is when he got the traction and that's when everything really took off for him. Mm. And I think that's a very real thing for everyone. They, people need to be able to relate. I mean, to all of us here on, on the collective, I mean, we're all figuring it out as we go. And I think the collective- If it's just failure, dude, I should be like intergalactic <laughs> famous right now. Well, you seek failure, right? You seek failure on a regular basis. And I, yeah. and I dig that a lot. And I think people should, because it, it's something I say in my office. I said, if you fail, that's cool. It means you're trying, right? If you keep failing at the exact same thing by doing the same process over and over again, maybe we're going to have to have a conversation as to how we adjust this, but, uh, don't fear that failure. Mm. Yeah. Great. So here's a question. I'm going to throw it out here. Let's talk about failure. What do you sure. think your, what do you think your biggest failure has been that you didn't learn from right away? Let's put it that way. The biggest failure that it like took you a while to go. Oh, <laughs> and then what do you think? Who wants to take this one first? I will. Dude, I've, I've never oh, sure. thought of it. Sorry. Uh, I will need a little bit of time to. Okay. I've got like a massive compendium of failures that I've got to work through. <laughs> Break out the uh, Encyclopedia Failitanica. I like it. Well, I'll see okay. you the next podcast <laughs> next where I'll podcast. have had enough time to think through all of my failures. Yeah. Okay. Well, Trav, you got one uh, off the top of your head? Well, you know, I, I look back at things that could have gone differently in my life. And people say, well, if only for this. If this didn't happen, look at where you'd be. And I wouldn't change any one of them because it made me who I am now and it continues to make me. One area where I've noticed a, a personality flaw in myself is my willingness to trust and uh, give to a point where you're put into a position where the only person that could really lose on this interaction would be me. And that mm. comes down to a personal management process. Uh, a good friend says, you know, Travis, I've realized in watching you, he's much older than me, he's an ex-strategist for a very large multinational company. And he says, the problem with people with good intention is that their good intentions will be used against them by those with ill intention. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's a constant iterative process of identifying how much am I giving and am I giving that in the right way? Am I giving it in a place that's gonna 
bring value to others, my family and myself? And, um, or am I just giving to the point where if anything goes sideways, I'm the one who's going to lose. So that, that would be one that I constantly have to check myself for. That is a good one. Zach, you got anything off the top of your head? That was a good one. You know, I think for myself, it's, yeah, what's the biggest failure? Failure is failure, you know? It's not trying. You failed. You haven't tried. You haven't gone for something. You haven't amounted to anything, you know? So each day I'm failing on various things and uh, pick myself up. I don't gauge on what's big and what's small. I think they're all, you know, give or take. Failure is failure. Hmm. Sean, what do you got? I think I'm going to synchronize up with Zach on this one just simply because I don't have enough time today to work through all of my failures. <laughs> I don't. I, no joke. I've just got so many. And and to Zach's point, whether it's a big failure or a small failure, it's still a failure. My job is to learn from that failure, not to just categorize it and then move on. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a big one, huh? Oh, that was a little one, huh? My job is to address each failure and and, and proceed forward with it before I came over here on my live IG uh, podcast this morning, it was generally about these kind of things, about uh, the lessons that I've learned. Probably I can use my live IG chat from today uh, to build off of this subject in respect to failure. What I'd said was, and, and I was wearing my Ford Momentum coaching race jersey or my training kit that my athletes had asked me to design for them, for our team that I'd created about 15 plus years ago. And so I'm not into the merch. Chance Burles is into the merch. I'm not good at merch, but I had to go through that whole merch sequence for my team. But the moment that the merch was on us, we then became like a way more cohesive team. And so as I was wearing that this morning, talking about forward momentum coaching or forward momentum or forward progress, I'd wore it specifically because earlier this morning, Jason Subkowich and Anne had done a podcast that uh, they termed talking to horses. And Jason has been in the podcasting, working his way into the podcasting game now for some time. I think this would have been episode 18 or just under 20, whatever the case is. And I really enjoy them. There's a few things that I enjoy about his podcast when he comes up in the morning. The rising sun, the birds chirping in the background, the horses, the whole nine. It's all mm. good. It's all very positive, uplifting. And he's, he's, he's well-spoken. He thinks quite deeply. And I appreciate someone who isn't afraid to put themselves out there, not to expose themselves, but to have enough confidence to take a small risk and put it all mm-hmm. kind of quote unquote on the line mm-hmm. every morning, like he started to do, kind of like I try to do. Mm-hmm. Like I think we all should every single day, not maybe in front of a microphone, but put ourselves on the line every day to face the unknown, to Maybe it'll be a failure and maybe it won't be. And I think that's one of life's greatest failures that when I learned it was a failure, I tried to remove it out of my life. And that is to not start, to not Mm. start the thing, whatever the thing is, like to be hesitant to go out and kick that ass. Paralysis of myself. Yeah. Well, not so much for me. I've always been an ass kicker, but I don't ass kick until I see that there needs to be one to kick. Mm. And sometimes, like, I'll be ferocious in anything I do. Point me in a direction and it's going to happen. But sometimes I don't see the path forward as quickly as I should. So that was my point uh, in my uh, Live IG podcast today is, you know, as I was wearing the jersey, thinking about what Jason and Anne had said and what we're trying to do over on the collective build a positive forward momentum direction for a small team that maybe will grow someday. It was literally my coaching company. And, and so what I'd said this morning is, man, I haven't been thinking big enough in respect to building a team because what we've been doing over here has been or, or what I've been doing. I, I don't know if, if this was thought out or it's just an outcome, 
what I've been doing is just trying to be helpful, loosely termed, be helpful, whether it's passing on experiences or wisdom or mistakes or today failures. I'm just trying to be helpful, man. But that isn't, that isn't enough as I see it today, or at least as I saw it this morning, listening to Jason and Ann. And here's why I thought that because Jason and Ann are fans of what we're doing. They like what we're into. They love the positive message. They like that we're handing out authentic opinion without asking someone to send us a hundred bucks or sign up for the course or be part of the inner circle, but there's a fee. And so I dig that. That this is this is where we're at right now is an authentic platform trying to help people. But again, as of this morning, I don't think that's enough. I think we've got to put a little bit more effort into building a team. And so that plays into what you're saying, Trav, with the, the meat eater program, what they're doing. Um, Steve and the gang, which I've never seen before. Sounds to me like what they're doing is focusing on getting things done, but making sure it's in front of eyeballs through strategies and tactics and whatnot. Manipulating doesn't have to be a negative term. It can be a positive term. Manipulating their delivery of information so there's more traction out there, maybe creating that whole meat eater team vibe, which I don't think we've got over on the collective yet. I think things are happening organically, but I realized today I haven't been focused on building a team. Mm. You know, we've been focused. Maybe that's on my culture. biggest failure this yeah. year. There you go. What do you got, Zach? I said we've been focusing on building a culture and seeing is there an interest, a gauge. Obviously, there is. You know, if we were going to ask the audience, what would they want to see from the collective? And maybe reiterate it again. And, you know, from a domino effect, if you're an audience member and if you like the collective, you know, share it. Say you're listening to the collective. Put it on your Instagram. Right? Get it out there. And I think uh, more people can hmm. garner the attention. Uh, that I, would, well. I would... Build on that, and I agree and disagree with a couple points there that you have, Zach. Um, failure, I've always viewed as a stepping stone to success. So if we, I think a lot of times people frame failure in a negative way when it really shouldn't. And I know nobody here on the on the collective really looks at it because they use it as a learning experience, as they've said. Um, so often companies will put in for a bid and they'll lose, and they'll have a big regroup of the team and they'll say, "What did we do wrong?" How can we change this next time so we can win this one? When maybe more emphasis should be put on to uh, what have we been doing right? Yeah, what are things is, that have been going really well that we can double down on? And th this is a point, Zach, where I kind of differ a little bit. I don't know if I'd ask the community in the collective, what do you want to see more of? I think if we're being um, really aware of what we're doing, we should be able to pick up on what's going well and what isn't. Because the last thing I think I'd ever want to be doing is, and, and it might have a negative connotation to it, but pandering to the audience or pandering to the masses and going down a, a route that perhaps mm. we're not as passionate about, but it's bringing the hits. More views or clicks or whatever it is. Right. I, I would much rather have a very strong guiding star if the collective says, this is exactly what we stand for and here's the guiding star that we're moving towards, and you can calibrate as you go through there to see what hits or what doesn't. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, when building the culture, I think the culture comes from us and those who are along for the ride will attract the right people. I That that would be just the one point that I would uh, deviate a little bit on from, yeah. from what you're it, saying. It's cliche, you know, like your vibe attracts your tribe. <laughs> there you go. It is cliche, but I literally said it yesterday on on, uh, yeah. on my, you know, on my. It's crazy, saying uh, to the world that, "Hey, man, you know what? Uh, what do you want your world to look like in ten years? Mm. Well, make it happen. Because mm -hmm. if your world sucks in ten years, that's on you. Ten years is a long time. You can yeah. create mega awesome, and if you don't find yourself in mega awesome, it's because you didn't work at it. You didn't. You didn't make it happen. Life, mm -hmm. life either happens to you or you control it. Mm -hmm. 
So, so let's look at this sunrise philosophy. The fear of failure has been a crutch of mine. You take it over my job. <laughs> you take it over my job. He's coming Wired. for my job. It's okay. No, you carry on, but I'm going to put it up. Keep going. Um, you know, may, I've heard that phrase many times before, and I'm sure you guys have as well. You know, fear of failure. What does that mean to each of you? Mm, that's a good question. Chance. Since you you're, just lost your job, since I lost my now job, you're I'm no longer on the panel. Now I'm, now I'm on the panel. Oh dear. Um, well, so the fear of failure. Um, now here's the the thing. I, I look at this, and there's I think there's two points to this. There is a fear fear of failure, of, and I think that comes from, um, the, the disconnect between what it is you want to have happen, and what actually have ha what actually happens. That's where the fear of fear of failure comes in. I think, especially at a young age, well, where for you, you know, or for me for sure okay. like so when i'm you know when i was doing uh, track back way back in the day right the biggest fear of mine was completely failing like uh not just doing a high jump and clipping the bar but like smashing into the pad completely missing it or mistiming the jump or going over the complete failure so it was a complete disconnect from what it was um from what it was i had a vision was going to happen so imagined so, failures then. So imagined failures, exactly. That's where the fear kicked in. And then I, I just broke this into two sections because the crutch portion of it, it it becomes a crutch in your life. And it was, it's was it been a crutch of mine for uh, quite a while was the fact that because I didn't want to experience the difficulty of not meeting my expectation, I didn't actually use the skill sets that I had in order to push me to that next level. You and were so, scared? Scared for sure. The um, the big one was, and I was thinking about this earlier. I, I, just I, think, I just think scared because fear is such a non-impactful word. Oh, uh, fear this, fear that. I feared the milk carton, whatever. You know, fear, the word fear is used so often that it's it's impact or it's power or it's pause two, three moment that everyone should consider when you see fear in a sentence, replace the word fear with scared. Mm. As soon as you read scared, then it has impact because fear is almost anonymous. It's homogenous. It's non-impactful. It's a word that is on every single headline of every single paper, every single day. Our current world is run by fear. Mm -hmm. It's it's the word fear is like the word if and or but it's so common in the English language now that I feel it's stripped its power away. But the moment that you replace that uh, sentence with I was scared of failure and it has been a crutch of mine scared all of a sudden is a new word that should have someone think what the heck why am I scared man. Fear almost empowers you. I'm fearful of the moment. Therefore, I'm empowered not to go face the moment. But the moment that someone says, dude, are you scared? Then it's like, what? Are you challenging me? I'm not scared. I'm not scared. Yeah, you're scared. <laughs> with, with my children. Sorry, Chance. Looks like no, you're you up. go ahead. What do you got? My children. Something I've tried to instill from them from a very young age. Uh, and I think it's sticking. If they are fearful of something, fear is an excuse. Fear is something Agreed. that they can use to be able to say, well, I'm not doing A, B, and C because I'm afraid. But what if we reframe that? And instead of saying I'm fearful or I'm scared, it's physiologically, the impact on the body is very, very similar to excitement. I'm excited about the possibility of what might happen if I put myself out there, right? I'm excited about, and it's, it's similar to, and the analogy has been used, a downhill skier. You're going through the trees. They don't focus on the trees. They don't focus on what they're afraid mm -hmm. of hitting. They focus on those gaps in between the trees. And if I'm excited about how I can get down that mountain and my route that I'm going to be able to take to get there, uh, I'm much more likely to be kept on track and getting to my destination than if all I'm looking at is the trees and the things I'm afraid of. I'm going to end up hitting them or I'm not going to do it at all because I'm going to say, what if, and it's that anticipatory similar, like to getting in a fight. If you know, you're going to be fighting somebody and it's going to be at a certain time, 
let's say it's a professional fight or, or whatever, am I, or there's a possibility of a fight, there's a physiological response, a psychophysiological response in the body, which a lot of people will take as, as a negative. But when the fight's on, you're in it. And there's that scared and fear just isn't there because you're doing it. Those punches, they don't hurt as much as I kind of thought they would. And the damage is happening to me or to them or whatever it might be. It's, it's just part of the process. And if we can understand that fear is something that we can use as an excuse and it never really exists in the moment of whatever you're doing, then maybe we can just kind of do away with that and ex replace it with, I'm excited. I'm excited what I might be able, my potential may be. I like the reframe. And I, I got I another- have, Sorry, I got to throw in a couple of points here. Sure. One is uh, using your example of Ski Hill, Trav. We've got a pretty big one about five minutes from our front doorstep. Mm -hmm. So I see skiers every time, beginners, advanced, world champions, whatever. Let's talk about the first timers who are going to be scared uh, of the ski hill. And so you put them on a chairlift by themselves. Here's what might happen. They get to the top of the hill. They stay on the chairlift. And now they're going back down the hill mm. where they get off at the bottom and say, did you see how high up I was there? That was scary, man. Like, there's no way I'm going to ski down that. It's That's insane. Dude, that's a green run. Well, green runs are crazy. I'm getting mm. off at the bottom of the hill. The only way to change that around is to jump on the chairlift with them and look at them and say, hey, how you doing? How's your morning? Oh, it's your first time? Oh, cool. Let me show you the route. Oh, you've never skied before. Awesome. Let's go do a, a green run. I'll guide the way. So that's just an interesting thought out there for everyone who is facing those kind of fears. If you're going down the hill and you're scared, who are you skiing with? I'm scared so, to go skydiving. So, yeah, right. So second thing is um, the fear is, I, I believe just recently I heard some dude say on some podcast that, well, if you're just at the top of the, uh, if you're at the top of the tower about to jump and you're scared, don't be scared. Yeah, man, oh, okay. don't be scared. That didn't work for me, Chance Pearls. <laughs> <laughs> but I have yeah, jumped man. out of that tower a thousand yeah. times. And so I do understand how the tower works. But my first time on the tower, as I looked down, I was scared, but I was committed. And that's the big difference. Fear of failure is one thing, as I'm standing on the edge, scared of heights. But my commitment to my team, to the moment, to the forward progression of who I am as a human being, that's what's going to make me take that step into the gap, into the void, into the height that I'm going to thunder through and be all right. Many hundreds of jumps later out of mock towers and high buildings and, you know, doing that James Bond stuff down the skyscrapers and such, all of that height work scares me. Mm. I fear heights, but I control the moment because I know I'm capable. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, my team expects me to. So, you know, if you are scared, cool, but get on with the program. The, for, for people that I find are fearful or scared of something, one thing that I have found that has worked for me, if I'm doing something and I feel that in my gut, that, that nervousness, that anticipatory scared, uh, is to compartmentalize the processes and just concentrate on that process of going through. If I'm jumping off the edge of something, left foot, right foot, am I clipped in properly? This looks good. And I just concentrate on each one of those little pieces. And all of a sudden you're doing that thing that was, that you considered so scary prior. And I find that an easier process for mm -hmm. me is just to look at each one of those little steps and put all of my effort into them and trust the process. It sure is. Now where it all falls apart is let's say you're going to be jumping out of a parachuting mock tower using the height uh, example. As you get to the base of the mock tower, you're getting a briefing. As you're going up the stairs, you're getting a briefing. As you get to the top of the mock tower, you're getting a briefing. Everything is handed to you. Your, your hand is held. Someone will clip you and you're not clipping yourself in. And then someone else will come by and double check that clip in. It's very carefully managed that first time. But here's the difference for some people. First time fear 
is way different than a, an uncontrolled fear uh, of, uh, I know you've never jumped out of a mock tower before, and I'm not going to show you how, and I want you to run those hundred men through it, figure it out. Then you don't get the little step-by-step -step moments because first man's out in three minutes. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes through a carefully led process, you can work through your fears if your vision is only right in front of your nose, if the task is only five seconds at a time and you don't have to observe to the horizon and run tanks at the same time. And so um, in an isolated, singular moment for one person, you can work through your fears. But if the situation is bigger than just you and your tiny little steps along the way, that's an entirely different circumstance. And I know that Trav, I know you understand that, Trav, of course. Um, but to your point now, as you sequentially step through those tiny little things in front of your nose, uh, how do you propose for someone who is not in that moment where it is chaotic in a large group where they're being evaluated, they're feeling the pressure, they don't know the forward progress ahead of them. They're just in the moment of madness, we'll call it. I've got a process that I've used in the past. I'll give an example. Uh, my wife and I were on a plane, smaller plane, super turbulent. I mean, it was sketchy. And uh, she was white knuckling it. And she looks over and she says, why, why aren't you afraid, right? What's going on? I said, well, think of what the absolute worst thing that could happen right now. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? She's like, well, we could, the plane could crash into the ocean and we could die. And I said, well, it doesn't sound like the worst thing to me. Like we could crash in the ocean and we could be horribly injured and we could be stranded there for days and we could have sharks <laughs> chomping at us, right? Like there's a lot more worse things that could be happening. She's like, oh, thanks, Trav. I said, but are they <laughs> happening right now, right? Well, no. Let's deal with that when it's happening then. And sometimes if I look at what's the absolute worst, if I fail, if I go out and put myself forward and I fail, do I fail this course and everyone laughs at me? Is that the worst? Do I lose an opportunity that I may have had to be slotted on a team or a job position or whatever it might be? And if I can say, I, I can live with that. I don't want that to be the case. So here's what I'm going to do to work through it. Sometimes it helps to really kind of frame what that fear is because most of the time it's just anticipatory what could happen it's, I, I think it's all the of track the time, meet it's chance burl's wondering if he's going to dive so high over the bar that he lands on a building across mm, the street yeah. you know it's it's the the imagined failures that hold people back from actually failing yeah on the airplane there by the way the the worst thing that could have happened is someone came around and offered you the pretzels because those things are the worst <laughs> especially on the little planes um it, you know a good point though sean i want to bring that uh, i want to come back to that in a second but i did want to hit these real quick so reading group gents fires to attend to just dropping in briefly to say good day good day to you alan shabaro what's up y'all always good to see you um the point that i wanted to make i want to go back to this real quick is that I was thinking about this while you guys were talking and I don't think it's so much the failure portion of it that creates fear. I think it's the embarrassment portion of it, right? Being done in front of other people or being seen failing because physically failing, especially on a small thing, if I were to be in my backyard by myself, hurling myself over a bar, I'd fail all the time, right? When I'm playing my guitar, I fail all the time. But the fear of failure is not so much that I'm afraid of failing, it's that I'm afraid of failing in front of other people where I'm being viewed as a failure or viewed as not being able to do the job or viewed as something else. And so I just wanted to postulate that because I, th I think that's where it is, is that it's not the actual failing itself. It's the feeling of embarrassment after the failing in front of everybody else. What do you guys think? Oh, I... 100% support that message, man. I mean, I'm used to failure. I love it. But I don't like doing it in front of the entire world in real time, Yeah, which is what I've done in the past in, in front of this stupid microphone. The Eye of Sauron. The Eye of Sauron. Dude, it, it, it hurts my brain sometimes how badly I do the job in front of this microphone, particularly back in the day. 
I don't like it, but I'm living proof of working through this process, man. It's uncomfortable for me. Really, really uncomfortable, but I'm not willing to step back because I feel uncomfortable because I feel like a failure from time to time in front of a microphone. Forget it. That's part of the process. I'll freaking bring on the failure because I know it's going to make me better. I already know I'm better from all of the past failures in front of a microphone over the last year and a bit. So I'm cool with that. It is a crazy thing to watch people be concerned about their failure based on who just watched their failure. Mm -hmm. You watch anyone who crashes on a bike. The first thing they do is look around to see who watched them crash. <laughs> Did anybody see that? And if no one saw it, then it didn't happen to some degree. And mm -hmm. so if you're practicing your guitar in your basement and failing constantly, you ain't learning the hard lessons yet. You need to practice in your basement and then go out to your friend's place and jam and realize that you do suck and now there's eyeballs on you and process that moment. That's where the real growth is is when there's eyeballs on you. When, you're, when your first thought is, Ooh, what does everyone else think of that? It's growth. But that's not how you should think. Mm -hmm. But that's how we all think to mm -hmm. some degree. So, yeah, it does happen. But it is an important part of the growth process. Don't, don't try to duck, dodge, and dive the eyeballs. Get out there, put yourself front and center sometimes, for the massive crash and burn failure uh, that you will learn the most from, for sure. Because you know what? When you look at rock bottom, it's a beautiful place at times. It's a win. You can go back, you can go back to Yay. a blank canvas and you can start again. Wiser, better, and you know, 100%. look back at it all. Mm -hmm. You guys remember that show, uh, One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest? Have you seen oh, yeah. that one? Mm. Okay. So um, there's... Jack Nicholson, and he's like, I'm going to pick up this fountain and I'm going to throw it out the window. We're all going to get out of here. And try to pick the thing up. And everyone's pointing and laughing and he can't do this. And anyways, he couldn't do it. And they're all laughing at him. And what did he say? At least I tried. Mm -hmm. Right? Kudos goes to the man in the arena. And who are these other people? When we look around, and it's a common thing to be concerned about other people's thoughts and opinions of you. What will they think if I fail, if I try and fail? Well, you know what? At least I tried. And I think we, we should all be representing that no, even more than at least I tried. At least I tried. Y'all saw me try. Now get mm. on with your own trying. That's right. That's but really the, people won't, right? the logical up. Yeah. What was that, Zach? I said oftentimes, you know, the people that are not showing up, they're not showing up for themselves. So why should they even show up publicly or whatever they want to do for the team? And yeah. so that's, that's what my IG chat was about this morning. Mm -hmm. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for the team. And if you don't know what the team is, start looking for a team. And once mm -hmm. you see the team, maybe you can identify with them because of a brand or because of a, a, a common theme or whatever the case is in order to find You've got to identify what you're looking for. And the easier it is to see by branding or whatever, a bigger team, a, a, a purposeful team, um, it's easier for someone else to get in the game. So if you can't show up for yourself, go find a team and show up for them. Isn't that funny how a person might not be intrinsically motivated themselves to do something for fear or whatever it might be, but when they are accountable to something else, or someone else or a team, it'll push them through. What would my mm -hmm. family think if I didn't even yeah. try? What would my kids think of me? And sometimes, right. you know, just imagine yourself in the, the position of success as opposed to what could go wrong. If I imagine myself of what could go right and work towards that, maybe I don't need the team behind me to motivate me, but it sure is a good motivator, isn't it? Yeah. People are less likely to disappoint somebody else than they are themselves and there's yeah, something sure. very wrong with that it's really mm -hmm. powerful it, it, and it is wrong but it's really powerful and it's i've understood it for a long time and for sure it's a scalpel that i use mm -hmm. uh, just as i'm verbally using it right now uh just to raise everyone's awareness that if you can't do it for yourself do it for the team
You know, it's uh, it's interesting. It brings up a, a a good point from the you guys read on combat from Dave Grossman. Mm. Trav, you have yeah. It's there's a point in there where they're talking about the the accuracy of um, friendly fighters against the enemy right. through time, right? And they're saying you know Civil War era there was a lot of shots that were lifted because they people didn't want to shoot at each other, and then as targeting systems have developed and as uh, targets have developed and how the training has developed, they've gotten to a point where you were getting more accurate shots from uh, your soldiers than not. But the one thing they found was that crew serve weapons were always more accurate than single men with rifles. Mm. Always. And the reason being was because you had a team with you. It was a three-man team that you were all working together. So your actions were instantly observable to the person next to you versus being on the line and everyone's shooting but no one's actually over your shoulder watching what you're doing especially on a machine gun you're going to have a number two uh you know and they're going to be tapping you right sean they're going to be like go that way go that way now and so every body you drop it's instantly recognized by your number two and back in the day your number three or whatever right but the the concept of having the team there watching you affects your uh, your output, and I think that's a that's something to be, something to be aware of. In that, your circle matters, right? We've talked about this last couple of days in a row. Is that if you are surrounding yourself by awesome people that want the best for you, when you try your hardest, those people around you are going to be sitting sitting there watching, going, "Awesome, well done, good job." regardless of failure or success, they're going to be happy for you that you did your best. Lucas Hogue is a country musician, plays at the Grand Ole Opry. He's been on the Silver Core podcast, and he used a, a term that I quite liked, and so I'll share his term here because we're talking about your team and those who you're surrounded with. And the more successful that you'll become in certain areas, you're going to find you attract like-minded people, and you'll also attract people who would just want to hang around for their own benefit or to use you. And he says, uh, you know, I quite often have to take a time to regroup and pull the weeds. So mm -hmm. if you're looking in your team, in your friend circle, maybe there's some weeds that you just start that you need to pull. That's very true. I like that. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, and, and that's right in theme with, I think, almost word for word, we've been talking about that uh, recently. Um, and Chris Lee, I don't actually like him anymore because so, he's like bringing <laughs> too much awesome. heat yesterday. <laughs> too, too much. It's too much, Chris. Was he on yesterday? Too much. Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah. Oh, nice. Good and, guy. uh, and not only was it too much, he just kept dropping like really <laughs> wise things as well. So I'm going to, I'm going to quote Chris Lee, who's cro quoting Dan Pena, who I confirmed that I am not following yesterday and I probably should. So um, his quote was, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Yep. And uh, I don't know who Dan Pena is, uh, but uh, that's good advice. And it's literally what we've been talking about for several days now of uh, who's in fact, when Pat Mack was on, it's not the boots you're standing in. It's the boot next to you mm -hmm. that's that's what you're all about and your life is determined by when you're six feet under who's giving you the nod at the start of days you don't know what's up about middle point you should be getting your act together and getting some rad people around you at the end the people who give you the nod should be cool people and if that isn't how your life plays out you've run your program wrong that's my opinion uh, hopefully that lines up with Dan Pena. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard that quote a little differently when I was in high school at a teacher, uh, Dan Isaac, and we all called him Magnum DI. And man, I, <laughs> I, 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 made, I made life rough for him. But he said, uh, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. And uh, similar thing. Show me your friends, yeah. I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you who you are. And if you look around and just say, you know, that person's, I've known them since I've been just a, a wee lad or they're a good person they've got a good heart are they you well no i, I don't identify myself on this person i don't know show me your friends i'll show you who you are do you believe that you guys are the average of the uh, five people you surround yourself with i don't think we're no. the average no 
I would I would say that we are because you can surround yourself with outstanding people and be the the low man on the totem pole and working your way into that group versus the other way around too. In my mind, what do you think, Sean? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, when you say the average, um, I don't think of myself as average, and I don't think of my friends as average. But within my non-average friends, I also don't think of myself as average. My let, not let average, me add the traits sorry. is what I mean by that. The traits, not the average yeah, yeah, yeah. as a person. No, how you that's feel a great question. Now I understand. So no, I'm not at all. In fact, uh, I'm going to run the same little speech as Pat Mac dropped there the other day. And it goes along these lines. As he was saying, I was like, bro, you're like a couple of year younger version of me. Um, and he stated, I don't need friends. I don't have a lot of friends. Mm. Not a lot of people get into my life. It's me, my wife, my family. Mm -hmm. And that's about it. Maybe I, as he said, maybe I meet my buds in the pub for a pint from time to time. But no one really gets into his life other than kind of very, very, very tight circle. Mm -hmm. That's the way I run my program, man. I can identify the, with that. The people in my life, are I can, can count on one hand as friends in my life. Now, I've got a pile of inner circle, for sure, that are digital people, like y'all. But you ain't in my house right now. You have... Oh, yeah. I was going to say... Trav has been in, <laughs> in my house. But if you've been in my house, that nice counts. House. Yeah, thank you. It counts. If, if I've let you through my front door, I respect you. No one gets through. You shall not pass if you suck. That's the way I run my life. And that's why I have a very tightly controlled friend group that I shake hands with in 3D. All the digital handshakes, I can shape easily. But the organic handshakes, that's something that can go sideways in a heartbeat if you're not culling out the quality of the handshake. What about digitally? How do you cull the digital handshakes? Because there's a lot of noise out there. You know, physically it's easier. You just we don't vibe. Okay. But digitally I'm hard. I'm I'm hard on it. If someone wants to be a goof, I'll let you know that you're a goof and bounce them. Mm -hmm. And if someone's cool, I'll let them know that they're cool. And hang on to them. But if someone doesn't synchronize with who I am or where I'm going or my mission profile, you're a non-factor. And it's not that I'm mean-spirited when I'm saying that. It's just that you're a distraction. If you are white noise, not aligned with what I'm... If you're chirping over here as an annoyance and it's not on mission, see you later. You know, you That's said it how before, I Sean. manage my digital media. The standard is the standard. The standard is the standard, and, that's and I it, have right? high standards. Yeah, and, and standards don't shift. Mm -hmm. They're they are like metal with me. It does not bend. My standard is my standard, and if if that doesn't work for someone out there, cool. Go find someone else who doesn't have standards or has weirder standards or no standards or maximum standards. However you want to phrase it, I am who I am. I have mm -hmm. certain expectations. My life is run by me. Life doesn't run me. I run it. it. I said yesterday, I threw up a little video clip. Me ride my bike. Write your own code. Write the code of your life. Mm -hmm. if, if this is hardware, my robot body, and this is the matrix that we're all playing in, get with the program and start becoming a programmer. Write mm -hmm. your own code within the game. And, mm -hmm. and that's not a one-and-done thing. I write my code in real time. If I want something to happen, I write the code. You know what I'm saying? No chat GPT assistance. Yeah, not required. <laughs> not, don't need to use chat GPT. Uh, there's a great scene in my head um, as you guys are talking about this, and especially when you said, uh, well, when I mentioned the standard is the standard is. Um, you guys remember the movie 300? Right, mm. and uh, I think it's uh, Ephistopheles, the uh, the hunchback that uh, is trying to ratted them out. Yeah, but it, before that all happens, he goes up to Leonidas and is like, trying to be part of the game. Hey, I want to be part of the game. Let's do this, and like I can hold a sh shield and I can do this. Blah blah blah. And uh, Leonidas states, every man in the phalanx 
relies upon the man to the left and right of him to cover him from knee to neck. Period. And that was it. Like, if you can't lift your shield up to the proper position, I can't use you. It's that simple. And because if that one weak link in the phalanx falls, the whole phalanx falls, right? You need the wall. You need to hold the standard because the standard is what upholds everybody else. And if you want to live a uh, fantastic life, then you got to seek out people that also want to live a fantastic life. And then you have to work every day in order to live that fantastic life consistently. Right. Well, my fantastic life is different than yours, Chance and exactly. Sean and Travis. I, you know, we all have our different ideas of what fantastic is. How do you know how to set your standards in your life? Because, That's and when do you know start. to bend those standards? Before That's we jump start. into that, I'd, I'd just like to uh, hit a point here. That was poor leadership demonstrated in that moment. Oh, from Leonidas? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I appreciate that he has a standard, as do I. And I'm not going to bend that standard. If you're going to stand in the phalanx, then you're going to earn your spot every single day. Earn your day, man. Earn your shield. Now, mm -hmm. the problem is... The poor leadership part was he looked at that dude and said, you don't meet the standard, move along. Mm. That was a failure. It should have been this. You don't meet the standard. I doubt that you ever can, but here's what you're going to do for me, or here's what you're going to do for the team, or here's what you're going to do for yourself. You're going to grab this, do that, and be an integral part of dot, dot, dot. He did do that. Did he? Yeah. Yeah, he said, uh, he's like, for the fight, I can't use you. But if you want to be part of this, you can tend to the wounded, make sure we have food, make sure we have water, bring us ammo, that kind of stuff. You can be part of it, but you can't, like, for the fight, I can't actually use you. Right. So so he did it, but he didn't, he didn't get, as I saw it, he didn't give that guy a sense of worthwhile purpose. Ah, uh, yes. He gave him a task. Go pick up the garbage and don't yeah. stop ever until you die. And you'll never talk to me again or get feedback. See ya. That sucks as That's leadership. Yeah. And so um, I don't feel that he ever set that uh, individual up for success to feel like he was being an integral part of the team, a producer, an important part of the phalanx, but just not in the phalanx, mm -hmm. you know? I always thought just a random thought in my head from this point, of, from that particular scene is that uh, he was able to sneak up on the Spartan lines right up to the king. I'd be like, well, he seems like a good scout. <laughs> you could utilize him in that way, but uh, not on the shield wall. So um, Zach, Zach asked a question about our standards, right? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, how, do, and, how do we keep our standards? How do we build our standards? Yeah. And he also, like, when, when do we bend them, he said. Um, so I think, like, for the collective or anybody, every individual should have their North Star of what it is that they're moving towards, clearly identifiable, easily articulated uh, any business or endeavor that somebody is getting into it's your elevator pitch if you can't pitch it in an elevator of what you're doing or why you're doing then we could have to yeah. come back and refine that that north star once firmly established will dictate essentially your standards of operation of how you're going to go there and the question of when do we bend those standards kind of reminds me of I forget what politician, I'm sure numerous of you, and they talk about situational ethics, right? Mm -hmm. And then this politician was questioned on that. He said, well, we take a look at the situation and and then, you know, we kind of kind of balance our ethics out. Uh, how are we going to, no, your ethics are your ethics and you apply them to the situation. If you have that North Star and you have your standards, you apply those standards to the situation and you don't bend them. That's my take. I like that. The, uh, I, I really enjoy that, that thought process of it's not, you don't apply the situation to your standards, you apply your standard to the situation and, and then, then manage the situation in that. Then it becomes really easy. It's a decision branching tree. Does this, yeah. is this on the left or the right side, the pros or the cons, the good or the bad side? If this is my North star and this is where I'm going, does this help me? If the answer is no, I don't even have to think about that. That's easy. If it does, great. How do we integrate this and move forward? Just like to, to play with this a little bit, just for fun, but it'll, it'll maybe take us in a good direction. So you're, you're in the elevator, you got your elevator pitch. Um, 
and and I'm in the elevator with you and you enter in your elevator pitch and about 15 seconds into it, I'm looking at you and I say, no, yeah. I don't want to listen to you. Get out of here, you dummy. No. Or however I frame it. And you still got another 15 seconds to deliver and I already shut you down. Now it's failure on your North Star moment. Mm-hmm. And that's that's another processing period for people who have a very clear vision they start delivering their well-thought-out idea that 9 out of 10 people would listen to the entire pitch and say, hmm, that's interesting. Whereas me, in the elevator, because I've got standards that are carved in stone, and you start talking about whatever, me modifying my standards? No. And I only say one word. And I wait for the door to open, and I just step out. And you're left in the elevator processing, well, that was rude. But I've got standards that I don't have to think a whole. I don't have to engage in a super long conversation with someone to say, right. no, it's a single word. We can build it out for a day and a half, but it's still a no. Yep. But a lot of people aren't used to or good at processing. It's not a mean-spirited no. It's just a no. That failure is hard on some people because when they hear a no and nothing more than that, now they've got to process in a whole new way that they've never done before. That, process in the dark. That level yeah. of pragmatism, I think, is very helpful if you're conducting a business or conducting yourself because it kind of keeps the feelings out of it. So many people are afraid of saying that no of what it might do to that person's feelings or how awkward that elevator ride might be after they after they say no. But having a very clear, no, no, I, I don't buy it. It doesn't compute. Um, and you might say no, and here's the reasons why, A, B, and C. If a person is self-aware enough to know that what their North Star is is worthwhile, maybe the person saying no just isn't a part of that process going forward. Correct. Mm-hmm. And There's... that person who's saying no, if they're self-aware enough, they should be able to turn around and say, okay, I'm interested to hear why you're saying that. Because... I am always open to reasonable persuasion. That's what I tell my kids. I say, just because I say, when they're younger, bedtime at this time, right? If they have a good reason why it shouldn't be, my rule isn't the law. It doesn't stand. It's open for them to be able to have some reasonable persuasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it gives them some power as well. But... I like that. The um, the neat, neat part about this is just, I have an example of this. Lots of times I've gotten messages about the collective saying, hey, you should do a show on X. Hey, you should do a show on Y. You should, hey, you should do a show on, and I'm sure, Zach, you've seen this. Travis, you've probably heard this too, right? You, you should do a show on, oh, you should bring on, and all the idea, man, come up, right? And there's uh, there was a point right at the beginning where I was like, you know, um, you know, that's, and in my head, I'm immediately like, no, that's not what the collective's about. No, we're not going to talk about right. bird feeders. No, exactly. And so there's that instant, like, no. But then they're in my head, I'm like, yeah, but I mean, I don't want to be mean to the person. I don't want them to feel bad and da 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 And eventually, I got to a point where it was just, yeah, that's not what the collective's about. Less feelings are hurt that way, and you find yourself Correct. in a better position moving forward. Exactly. And, it's yeah, not and you know question- what? The, it's not about the person who's going to be upset that we're not going to talk about bird feeders. Yeah. It's about the several hundred people who are going to be upset that we're talking about bird feeders. Yeah. Exactly. Our, our, our mission is team focused, not individual focused. All the individuals in the world can come up with all of the good ideas in the world. And that's awesome. Let's get on with that. But the moment that the bird feeder story shows up, see you later. Yeah. And it's not that I don't want people to bring me ideas because I do of want course. ideas. I want feedback. I want information. I want people to come and say, Hey, you know, we, I'd love to hear about this. And I'm open to the, to the suggestion, as you said, Travis, so, you know, uh, <laughs> someone came up and actually gave me a really good argument why we should talk about something. Cool. All right. Sounds like a plan, right? Or, sorry, that's not what the collect was about. And in, in that example of being open to reasonable persuasion, bedtimes at this time, they come up with a good reason, whatever it might be, they're still going to bed. We're still meeting that North Star. Maybe it's yep. 10 minutes later, right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, we could do an entire podcast on give an inch, take a mile as well, having had <laughs> some teenagers myself. <laughs> That is true. We could we could probably talk about that for a while. And there's there is, I think, points on both sides of it. There's 
uphold the standard absolutely with no thought, no uh, direction. And there's also points for, you know, there are going to be points in time that the standard isn't meeting the reality of the situation, right? There's long drives or uh, one of the, like my boys just did their big concert at the uh, Winspear here in town and they, Kinley's first concert, oh, Arden's multiple nice. concert, they were out playing, they were playing their trumpets. It was a great time. We didn't get home until long after bedtime, right? So I can't physically get them to bed. Therefore, we get home and we start the process immediately upon getting home. So there is situationally dependent, but as you said, Travis, if the standard is still met, they're still going to bed. They're still fed. They're still good to go. Now we're going to bed. I think if that standard is not so defined, like here's a time frame, here's a this, but if that standard is the collective is here to bring positivity to others, I, I think a person would be hard pressed to have you deviate from that standard and say, okay, now we're going to bring negativity, right? Yeah. So, now we're going to be evil. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's all just be evil. Ha ha. Yeah. I don't think that would work very well. Um, so we're at an hour here. I just want to uh, see if there's any final thoughts on fear, failure, um, standards. We hit a, we had a couple uh, mm-hmm. milestones there. Any thoughts, Zach, let's start with you. What do you got? Final thoughts? No, just always happy to be a part of this and, you know, keep spreading the good vibes. Good vibes all day long. Trav, any uh, final thoughts? No, I think I've said my piece. Nice. Sean, what do you think? Anything on the background? I just want to call out Zach's uh, Radmaster 9000 painting in the background. Yeah, and I'm curious as to whether you color coordinated your outfit with the painting, because I'm getting a lot of cognitive dissonance right now. I'm like processing the shirt, processing the painting, processing the shirt, processing the painting. <laughs> see, I thought it was one of those um, those 3D pictures you got to kind of unfocus to see. Yeah, right? oh, yeah. I, I did a little bit of that myself. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, you know, I really appreciate you guys joining us. It's been a, a great chat there's a lot of really good information that i think we hit to, for anybody to learn about themselves build upon what they know so that they can grow into tomorrow which is what we can do every day with us here on the collective i'll see you all tomorrow chemo chemo